Thanks for joining us for today's sermon. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working in your life. If the messages of this church have touched you in some way, please share that with us by clicking on the contact tab at lifesc.org to send us an email. And if you would like to give to this ministry, you can do so online to help us bring messages just like this one to you each week. It is our prayer that God blesses you through this message today. So Philippians chapter 1 and verse 2 or 12 is where we're going to start. If you have that, say amen. And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, just so you know it's everybody, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. Amen. Verse 20. Jump to verse 20 if you wouldn't. For I fully expect and hope that I will. I want to say I will. That'll mean more a little bit later. Never be ashamed, but that I will. I want to say I will. Continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust my life will. I want to say will. Bring honor to Christ whether I live or die. Paul's writing this. They Most scholars believe in... Uh, in a house that he is renting in Rome as he's under house arrest and is going to be going before on trial. And he's writing it back to the Philippian church that he planted in about 54 AD is where he planted that church. But he came back and visited a few times, checked on it. And now he's writing them. This is the last book that Paul writes, Philippians. And uh, he's writing back to them. He said, whether I live or I die, it's all good because the gospel's been preached. Amen. So I want to talk to you a little bit about a struggle story for his kingdom. A struggle story for his kingdom. Has anybody felt like this this week? Anybody here want to be honest with me? You felt like you've been pushing something uphill that shouldn't even be your job to do. This is what I felt like um, several times in ministry and in different places in life. And I want to share with you why it's so important that you realize your victories are not just for the kingdom's use. Your struggles are as well. Let's pray. Jesus, we ask you to touch and anoint us. Lord God, we ask you to use this word to encourage and equip somebody. Lord God, we, every one of us are responsible for our soil right now so that this word can be planted. Each one of us has to be ready soil. Open us up, Lord God. Make us receptive to this word in Jesus' precious name. And everyone said amen. You may be seated in the house of the Lord. Hallelujah. Some of the struggles that I see in Scripture when I look at people's life encourage me because I think I'm not the only one. When we come to church together and we start sharing testimonies of the different struggles of our lives, it should encourage you because you're not alone. We're doing this together. Amen? And so each one of us has the opportunity to take our testimony and paint a picture of either how good God's been or how it's all been just a struggle. And even though our story could be a struggle story, your perspective on your story changes it into a testimony that has power or just another story. Everybody's got a story, amen? Everybody's got a struggle, amen? But what happens when you use your struggle to glorify God because you have a perspective change on how God can use me no matter what happens in my life, that change alters the impact of your story. 
And it literally stays in your life as your story until you interpret the story according to God's word. That our life is such a short timeline, amen? That living from birth to grave is so small compared to eternity. And that our story, if we look at it from the scope of what God sees it as, if we look at it from the scope of how our Savior sees us, then we start to speak of our struggles as just a what? Because we have a bigger why, amen? Because we have something that God wants to do in our life. And I was always perplexed when I read the story of Abraham. Always. Because Abraham is unable to have children. And God promises him children. Has God ever promised you something that made absolutely no sense? Not only was his ability to conceive or procure children dead in his own body because of age, but about 20 years earlier, his wife's ability to conceive was no longer there. So we're working with a dead womb, a person who cannot conceive, also dead, and Jesus says, I'm going to give you life out of that deadness. How many know that when everything looks like it's died in your life, every dream that looks like it's died in your life, I could, I could get an amen probably right there, but every hope, every relationship, every situation that looks like it's died in your life, there may be things even attached to it that look like they died, but when God speaks life to it, it will come to life under the power of his word, amen? I found it very interesting as I read the story that I'd get uncomfortable when I got to the part of God asking him to sacrifice his son Isaac, his only son, his begotten, his precious promise from God. He, God, would, God would ask somebody to do something like that. It seems so far-fetched to me. Why would God request something so precious to be sacrificed to him? Isn't that weird? Isn't that even strange? It may be even barbaric. And, and I would have conversations, and even in college, I would have argumentation that would come up like, why would a God ask for something like that? You have a child. You love this child because it is a, is a miracle from God. And then God wants you to return it to him in a sacrifice by murdering your son with a dagger on a mountaintop. So Abraham hears from God, take your son, your only son, to a place where I'll show you. And Abraham was pretty, com it's pretty common for Abraham to set out to a place that he didn't know where he's going. Amen. He had often had many times where God would say, I'm going to send you, but I'm not going to tell you where. Has God ever sent you to a place or have, has God ever given you a mission and you didn't know how it was going to turn out or how you were going to get there. Amen. Somebody. So Abraham sets out on the trackless trek about three-day journey to Mount Moriah. And he gets there with his son. And they have wood. And they have fire. And there is rocks everywhere on this mountain. And he tells the men of his who are his servants, stay with the donkeys. We're going to go and we're going to worship. And they go up the mountain to worship and on the way up obviously Isaac is a smart young man they say that I don't exactly know his rough age but that he's old enough to overcome his father just so you know he could wrestle him and put him down if he wanted to so Isaac had to submit to the process amen he had to submit to the sacrifice have you ever had God ask you for a sacrifice in your life and you had to submit to it your will didn't want to give in but you had to submit to the sacrifice God was asking you to give 
Maybe I'm preaching to myself right there because I'll put a good amen right there for myself. But called to do something that was difficult. His son recognizes, Dad, we've got the altar. We can build it. Dad, we've got the wood for the fire. Dad, we've even got the fire. But where is the sacrifice? Where is the lamb that's supposed to be sacrificed? And, and Abraham says something very prophetic at that moment. He said, God will provide himself a lamb. Someone say, God will provide himself a lamb. It's very important that you understand that our progress is based upon God's provision. It's very important that we understand that our provision will die. Our money and our account will run out. We cannot trust in the Bible said chariots and horses, but for us, we cannot trust in our bank accounts, our 401ks, whatever it is that you have stored up that you've been very careful to put aside and make preparations for the future. That is not where your provision is going to come from, brothers and sisters. Our provision is found in the Lord. And in that, we find the only place where we can progress in life is in Christ. Amen. You see businessmen sitting in high-rise buildings in corner offices in plush leather chairs with streams of tears running down their face because they have all the progress this world said they needed to have. They had all the success everyone says you should have to be happy, but they are not happy. They're sitting there broken men in broken lives with broken relationships. And while everybody else looks from the outside and says, that is progress, They don't feel it. They don't know that they're truly progressive. They don't know that they've gotten everything. And though everything around them would seem to be what their dream was, they're still broken on the inside because progress comes from the provision of Almighty God. The greatest progress of this church, the greatest progress of your personal life comes from God Almighty alone. You can't get it in a job promotion. You can't get it in a government change. You can't get it in a new president. Oh, I probably shouldn't go there. But you can't get it from this world. I'm telling you today, I know this because I've pushed for progress before. And anything you push, you break. Amen? Push long enough, you break something. I want to tell you that you have to understand what progress is according to God's concepts. How many know that this church is progressing even though there's chairs that are not full? You have to know progress takes place on the inside of you as well as on the outside. But there's something very important about progress. And I I think anybody would be able to logically understand that if you know the direction that you're moving in, you understand your destination or where you're going, you can endure anything if you know you're on the right path. Amen? Most of our confusion as a human being And most of our perplexing thoughts are over, am I doing the right thing? Am I going the right way? Is my feet pointed in the right direction? So they have studied, they, anytime you use the word they, it's always important. You know, important people, they, it makes it have so much more weight. They have studied the effects of progress on happiness. And they say unilaterally that a person that is happy has a component in their life of progress somewhere. If they are stuck, if they are bound up, if they are caged, 
if they are caught in some way where they cannot progress in some area of their life, they will be sad, it'll turn to depression, it'll fall into some sort of darkness that they cannot get themselves out of because they are simply not progressing. Progression is a primary ingredient of your happiness. Did you know that? In order for you to be happy, you have to proceed in progress. How many know that this is a moving church? <laughs> I'm so glad that I'm in a church that's moving forward. And regardless of what this world does, this culture does, regardless of how they say we're on the wrong side of history because we take a stand for the moral things of this word of God, and regardless of how they want to cut out pieces of this scripture because it deals with the sin that they want to stay in, I want you to know we're not on the wrong side of history, brothers and sisters. This book is still here, amen? They tried to burn it but it's still here they tried to destroy the church but we're still here amen they tried to kill all of the first century christians but we're still here amen. preaching the same gospel amen. that peter and paul and all of them preached anybody see an emperor lately anybody see a pentecostal apostolic lately we're still here amen the people that know the name and know their God, are in a progressive church. People don't like that word anymore because the world stole the word progressive and used it in the wrong way. We have always been a progressive church because we've always had a God that's moving this church forward. And how does that happen? How do we progress? If happiness, if you leaving here today, being happier than when you came, depends upon progress in your life, and progress has components, then we need to find out what those components are, right? How do you progress? What is one of the ways that you progress? I'll ask you, rhetorically, I guess, I don't know. What do you think, well, what, what is required for us to have progress, Reese? How do we progress? Well, there's two things. Number one is what I already said, right? Yeah. If you know where to go, but you never go there. Are you progressing? There's a whole lot of people sitting in a whole lot of churches that have God talking to them, but they won't move on it. That is such a dangerous place to be. Because progress by itself, most people think, requires effort. I wish there was a whole generation, you know, all of your generation, Roly and Estevan, your generation, they're not getting the concept of you have to put effort in to get it because everything's handed to them. They're fifth graders and sixth graders and fourth graders and they're handed iPhone 6 Plus and they're handed everything that they, that they see that they want and they don't have to work for it. Unless the family is causing a structure of understanding of effort gives reward. They don't know anything about effort in this. The millennials are struggling with effort. They don't know anything about it because everything's been handed to them. When they walk into a church like that, they expect heavy media. They expect awesome bands. They expect all this stuff because it just should be there. They don't care how much work it took to do that. They don't care how much effort was put in for us to be here with these lights on. None of that matters because it all just comes to me. So I wonder if we are focusing on progress in our generation but missing effort. Also, we have to understand that progress is an admixture. It's not just one thing. Because you, as a teacher, Sister Karen, 
You can teach a child and teach a child and teach a child and you can pile on all kinds of assignments and you can frustrate them and they'll get nowhere. Have you ever been there before where you had, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but I wasn't a very good student. I'll tell you right now. I don't know if, if you've ever been there, but I have these ADD moments where I'd be sitting in class and there'd be stuff going on out the window. And there'd be cars going by. Anything moving, you know, pretty much catches my attention. So if you get up and leave the service while I'm preaching, you're making it very hard on me to focus, okay? Yeah, so don't leave. <laughs> no, Sarah's going to get up and go, that's a good thing. Um, I, so what happens, I would, I would be so distracted all the time that I wasn't a very good student. And I had this teacher that would pile on more assignments thinking I just needed to spend more time working. But what she didn't realize is I didn't know how to do it right. So all it did was bog me down. Anybody been there? Bog me down in that class and I literally just gave up. It didn't work. I had, I had so, you can try so hard because I did. I was like trying so hard but I couldn't get it because I didn't have enough direction. If someone would have sat down and directed me and how to use the effort because you have to have direction in place first then apply effort. Okay? If you don't know that, you have to know that from this, from this topic that I'm talking about. Because when you take on a lot of effort, you, you, you could be going very fast and going nowhere. Have you ever heard that statement? We're going nowhere fast. That is exactly what can happen. We can leave here and I, can be need, I need to go to the airport, okay? I got a plane warming up right now. I need to go to the airport. But I can get on I-94 West and I can go 90 miles an hour. And I will not get to the airport, Mitchell International. I might end up at Nebraska International Airport, but I'm, not, I'm going nowhere, but I'm making good time. Have you ever heard someone say that? There's so many people that have no direction in their life, but they're putting in all this effort, and they're so, so gung-ho and so zealous, but they're going nowhere fast. And so if we would ever just stop and... Tune our ears toward heaven and get what God wants us to do for direction. If we don't get direction first from Almighty God, we could be running ourselves to death and exhausting ourselves, calling it building a church that we don't have the direction from heaven. We're not going the way we're supposed to be going if we don't have God's direction first. And so we can put all this effort in, and sometimes some of the younger staff, they're, they're not even staff, they're volunteers, come to me when we're in meetings. And we have these meetings where like, we just want to, because in ministry, you don't always have a checkbox. You don't always, are you not able to check it off and say, did this today, this today, progress. Sometimes we're doing stuff as a church to build the church, and we don't always see the result of it till much further down the road. And you can have a question mark build in your brain. Why are we doing this if it's not working? Because I don't know about you, but I, won't, I don't really want to go do something that's not working. How about you? Let's spend a whole lot of effort that doesn't get us anywhere. That's not what I want to live my life doing. How about you? I don't want to do that. So what we have to do is we have to realize that when God gives us direction, we're, we're, we're spending time in, in, in group sessions. Sometimes I get to coach. Sometimes I don't get to coach. Sometimes I get to email. Sometimes I don't. But when someone asks me on our team, why are we doing this? Or what's the, what's the plan here? I have to make sure that they understand that there's a direction, a path that we're on that's bigger than what we're doing right now. 
Do you understand that? There's a direction that we're headed that whether we have more effort to put in this Sunday or we have less effort because there's fewer people here, a whole section we're listing on this side of the boat today. Uh, Zion is tilting this way, okay? Whether there's a whole section missing on this Sunday, you have to know that if we have less effort in this service today, it does not mean we've lost our direction. We might have to apply less effort today but next week we'll have 35 here and the next week we'll have 65 here and when they come the direction won't change but the effort will be greater that effort will lead us to a place where this church is known as a place where we rejoice over the name of Jesus Christ greater effort and less effort does not mean less progression but direction without effort is no progression. So we have to know that our progress is based upon the Holy Ghost. And I'm grateful for God because he does great things. This church was powered, open parentheses, effort, close parentheses, by Pentecost. This is the equation. Effort plus direction equals progress. Apply it to your life. Where are you progressing? Roly, where are you progressing? Reese, where are you progressing? Wherever there's effort and direction together, go across that equal sign and you're going to find some progress in your life. Because that's an equation that works every single time. So God puts the equation in his church. The church was powered by Pentecost, effort. When the Holy Ghost came, they got their direction. And so that allows this to be his church built by his power, by his spirit, a progressive church. Amen? Oh, that's so good. I think I'll just praise the Lord for myself. Someone said, you shouldn't do that, Pastor. You shouldn't say that your preaching's good. <laughs> if I don't like this preaching, why do I think that you'd like it? If I don't want to be here, why do I think you want to be here? I'm going to get happy preaching the word of God because I can tell you that this word is a progressive word. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. So no matter what's on us, what's in us dictates what happens with what's on us. And what's on me is never greater than what is in me because I have a promise from God that his spirit will power and progress my life through his word. I'm so grateful because cars drive into the building. Oh, the whole time I'm preaching, I look at it. And it screams at me. And I'm like, setback, 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 setback. In my brain. That's what my brain says. And it may be corny. But God the whole time is saying, set up, set up, set up, set up. It's a set up, it's a set up. Because God can use the worst struggle story to bring the greatest glory. Amen? He can use. Worst situation imaginable. And so Abraham's lifting the knife to obey God. And as he breaks that ark with every muscle fiber tensed in his arm because he does not want to take his son's life and he begins to come down, God says, Abraham. And he stops him. And he shows him a place in scripture. It can be found where it talks about this. And they're going to put it up there for me. But he shows him in scripture the beautiful sacrifice that's going to be a substitute. He says, I don't need your son to be a substitute because that is not a perfect sacrifice. 
but I'm going to create one through the womb of a woman who is a perfect sacrifice. And on that day, I will not stop the sacrifice. I will let it happen because it's not just going to save my people in Israel. It's going to save the whole world. Amen. That's a good place to put an amen. It's going to save the whole world. And I believe that when Abraham turned around, as we learned in Bible class at camp, that he saw the message in, of God's redemptive power because when he turned, he saw a ram caught in the thicket. In other words, there was a bush with a ram that was the sacrifice that was missing caught by its horns in the thorns. Amen? So you have to understand that was a picture of Jesus Christ. That Abraham saw the gospel in that moment that God gave him a vision. And you're like, I don't know, Pastor, if that's really true. Let's go to John 1 and 29. John the Baptist was baptizing Jesus. And he says, behold, the lamb that taketh away, is that right? Yeah, behold the lamb, part B, which taketh away the sins of the world. John knew that he was the sacrificial lamb. Look at Galatians 3 and 8. Jump over there with me real quick. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith preached before the gospel unto Abraham. I thought the gospel was Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's what I thought. The gospel hasn't even been written yet. And he's saying here that the gospel was preached to Abraham, saying unto thee, in thee shall I bless all the nations. When was the gospel ever preached to Abraham? When he turned and he saw God's provision for his progress. Amen. When you turn your eyes to Jesus, there is something that can happen where God gives you a vision and all of a sudden every struggle and every long mile and every heartache becomes something where you go, that was for my good. I was progressing when I thought I was going backwards. I was doing good. It was a setup when it looked like a setback. God can use the worst struggle stories to bring good. And Abraham saw a vision of Almighty God's provision. Because anytime God gives you a vision, he'll always give you the provision to meet that vision. He didn't give us just a cheap gospel, brothers and sisters. He gave us a gospel that he purchased with his own struggle story. He died on a cross. It looked like complete defeat. I want you to know if you're sitting here and you feel like you are not progressing, and you feel like life is caving in on you, and you feel like your story has come to an end in failure, I want you to know that that is the most perfect story to use for God's kingdom. Because when you run out of, when you run out of road, when you come to the end of your way, then he becomes the way, the truth, and the life for you. But until you get to the end of your way, I can get this, I can do that, or I can get that job, I can take care of that. That's all your ways. I'm not saying you sit on like a bump on a pickle and wait for God to show up. You need to get up and apply yourself. But when you get to the end of your moment and you're like, I'm not sure what to do in this situation, Paul is talking to us from Philippians. He's like, 
whether I live or I die, if this is the end of the road for me, if I keep going, it's not, I want to go to heaven, he says. To be absent from this body is to be present with Christ. And guess what? I'd rather be in heaven, not have all the struggles, not have the alarm clock go off at 5 a.m. on Monday. I'd just rather not do all that anymore. I'd rather go on and be with Jesus, he says. If you read through, take it home, read the rest of Philippians. You'll see I'm telling you the truth. But he said, but I am convinced that no matter what happens to me, because my, um, I'm, I might stop here for just a minute. Is that okay? Can I get a little bit deeper on this for a second? What time do I got? When your, when your why is greater than the what that comes against you, nothing, no matter what it is, will stop you from living for God. When you realize you're put on this earth to glorify God and to build his kingdom and to preach the gospel through your testimony in your life, you will not thwart your testimony because you know your testimony is hooked to your ability to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. You will live for God easier when you know that your life is for his glory. David said it like this, I will bless the Lord at all times. We talked about it earlier. Anytime I'm going to bless the Lord. My life is going to bless the Lord. In fact, he said, let everything thing that have breath praise the Lord. In other words, if your body has cancer but still has breath, you want to praise the Lord. If your mother just died but you still have breath, you should praise the Lord. If you just lost the best job you ever had but you're still breathing, you want to praise the Lord. Amen. And I need Reese for this one because there's a if you want to get ready, I appreciate that. Reese is going to be Jesus for us. But there is, we learned in Bible class at camp, there's there's something called the Shem. It's a three-prong letter in the Jewish alphabet. Everybody hold your fingers up like this. This is the American way of doing it, okay? When they, when they started Star Trek, they were like, okay, we need a Klingon, we need a Klingon greeting for um, Leonard... Nevoy. Do you remember that? Leonard Nevoy? Nimoy, is that how you say his name? Well, I learned this at camp. So what's funny is, I didn't even know this, but Leonard Nimoy, who's a Jewish man, he's Jewish descent, he goes, I've got a greeting. I got a greeting for the Klingons. Or is it Klingons? Vulcans. Thank you. It's the Vulcans. All of the, all the super, uh, you know, the super knowledgeable people sit on this side, apparently. So... I'll go over here and I'll educate over here. <laughs> so the Vulcans, <laughs> the Vulcans were people that had a greeting. And they asked, well, what kind of greeting should we have? And Leonard Nimoy said, well, we could do this, which is the Jewish sign for Yahweh or God actually means Jehovah Jireh or Yah. It's the name of God in physical form, the Shem, okay, in the Jewish in the Jewish language. So Leonard Nimoy says, well, we could use this. And all the producers were like, hey, that works. We'll use that. They had no idea that every time in Star Trek, Leonard Nimoy greeted everybody, he was calling the name of Jehovah. That's <laughs> so awesome. I just love it. I just love it. While the world thinks they're in control, God's in control. I just love it. So what happens is we have to look at that and they say, Jewish uh, scholars say that it represents 
the the emblem of a man with his head and his two arms lifted up. So it's the representation of someone doing this. Their head and their two arms. So when you lift your arms to God, you're not just praising him from your voice and because you know he's worthy of praise, you're praising him with your posture. You're saying Jehovah is my provider. Amen. So what happens is in the situation where Moses is standing on the mountaintop and all of his people are down in the valley fighting these people called the Amalekites. They like to fly kites apparently, so they got named. That's punny, a play on words. So the Amalekites are fighting against the people of Israel and Moses is on the mountaintop holding up his hands, creating the shadow over the people of the Shem. That three, le that three letters together, he's creating that over the people. And when he gets tired, his hands fall down, and then the Amalekites begin to win in the valley. So Aaron and her go up, and they sit him down on a rock, which I believe represents Jesus Christ, amen? He sits down on Jesus Christ, the rock, symbolically in the Old Testament, and then they lift his hands, and I believe because the Bible says the sun was going down, why would the Bible tell us the sun was going down if it didn't matter at all? I believe that the shadow of Moses was falling over that battlefield as they were fighting, and as he lifted his hands, he was saying, God is over this battle. This battle belongs to the Lord. He shall have victory. And while his hands were lifted with that sheem symbolized over them in a shadow, God was winning the fight down below in the valley. That's what I believe was taking place. Or why would the, word, why would the Bible even care to tell us about the sun going down? Maybe there's another reason. Maybe it's just the longevity. But whatever. I backtrack. I, 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 whatever. <laughs> ADD. Yes. So, what happens with us, is we know that when we come to the house of God and we have a struggle story going on in our life, when we lift our hands, we're putting God over top of every problem, every predicament, and every pain. Oh my goodness. I think I'm going to have to listen to this online over the week. There is so much good in that. You have to understand that when your body hurts and you still get up and you still come to the house of God, you are going, God, you're bigger than my bodily pain. I'm going to worship you forever. This life is this short. This pain is this short. This problem is this short. But eternity is this big. And all of my days here on earth and all of my eternity, I'm going to be the calling on the name of the God who provides my strength, my hope. It might be a struggle story, but it's a story with God's shadow over it in my praise. When I lift my praise, I give it all to God. And so when the pain comes and we're standing and I'm following Jesus, who is the light of the world, and he's shining his light on me, and I'm like, I love that I'm called out of darkness into his marvelous light. And a pain comes to plague my life. Something happens. Bankruptcy comes. Uh-oh. Better not do that one. When, when we get a disease or we get something that happens, the people that are not praising God, that are not in the posture of Shem, calling on Jehovah, their provider, they have arms free to hold on to their pain. 
love my parents. We hang together all the time. It gives me sympathy from others. It gives me attention when I need it. I, pr I make him look so big and me so small because he, he's my pain. <laughs> it hurts to hold on to this pain. That's why people come to the house of God and they stand there and they can't lift their arms because they've been carrying stuff they weren't intended to carry all of their week. And when they get in the house of God, the Bible says, Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. That's why when worship falls on this house and people start lifting their hands, that's why you need to be here to help lift your brother and sister through your praise. If you're absent, you are absent of helping somebody else, not just yourself. But when we lift our praise and Jesus shows up and he begins to draw on us and lift us higher he's lifting us out of the struggle story and for a few minutes brothers and sisters we have this glorious moment where his manifest presence falls upon us and when that happens we let go of everything we're clinging to thinking we need to carry it then we lift our hands in his presence and in that praise moment we cast a shadow on everything else before look at my shadow we are one my pain is my pain my struggle is my struggle my struggle story is my struggle story we're one but when i turn and i begin to praise god the only thing left is yahweh's name in my posture he disappears you see him anymore? All you see is the name of God in my praise. So whenever I start to praise, it doesn't matter how many things I line up behind me. I could have a, a failed this and a broken that and a difficulty here. And all I have to do is just keep walking toward Jesus, keep reaching for the light and hold my hands up. And the battle is automatically won. Watch this. The battle is automatically won behind me. And all of my problems, because I'm not clinging to my problems, I'm clinging to Jesus. I'm holding on to him. My hands are too busy worshiping God to hold on to depression, to struggle, to difficulties, to the problems of life. I'm too busy worshiping God. Thank you, guys. Give them a big hand. Amen, amen, amen. And my progress is in him because I brought it all to Jesus. When you bring it all to Jesus, the good, the bad, and the ugly, you stop looking at what's going on in your life when you have a why in front of you. I worship God not because it's a good day. I worship God because he's worthy. That's my why. And when you have a big enough why, you can go through anything. When your why is greater than your culture, when your why is greater than your problems, when my why is so big, you mess with my what all you want to. You take whatever you want out of my life, and my why is still going to be present. My, my why. Get it? <laughs> my why. Not YMCA, but my why.
My why calls on God throughout my entire life and whatever changes, whatever comes. I don't know how I'm going to live or die, but I know this. I, like Paul, want to say, if I go, I go to be with the Lord. But if I stay here, he said, it's for your benefit. Why is it for your benefit? Why is it for their benefit? Paul is writing to the Philippi church. He's saying it's for your benefit. I stay. Sometimes you're... Sometimes your struggle story, that thing you've been pushing uphill all week thinking that you need to do the work, if you surrender it to God, it wasn't about you anyways. It might be about somebody else. Paul said, if I stay here and I don't die, if, if Caesar doesn't kill me, then guess what? I'm staying for you. My struggle story is to further the gospel. And he actually says, if you read down, he says that my bonds and my chains, he said, I don't care about those guys that are preaching for no, you can read it, preaching with poor intentions. He goes, I don't care about the people that have wrong motives that are preaching the gospel. He said, at least the gospel is getting preached. At least Christ is being exalted. Remember, David, oh, magnify the Lord with me. They got the first part of that verse right. Elmbrook is magnifying the Lord today. Other churches around here, they're magnifying the Lord today. I'm not, Paul, if Paul was here, he'd say, I'm not worried about that. At least they're preaching the gospel. The gospel is being advanced in its sense in some way. But sometimes we think that we're just the, quiet, the, the loud version of their quiet version. And that's not the case at all. We have the name and we have a baptism and we have a power of God who is the progress in our life, we have to know what the Holy Ghost speaking with tongues. And you have to know that no matter how bad it gets, the struggle story is there for somebody else too. You remember Cornelius? Who was, who was Cornelius? He was the Italian, he played a band and it was a bunch of Italians. Do you know the first Gentile, Cornelius, was that Cicero? Was he at Caesarea? I don't remember. Someone look it up for me. Cornelius was at Caesarea Philippi, right? No, Caesarea. Anyways, wherever he was at, I didn't study it, but I want you to know this because he's the first Gentile. The point that I wanted to hit is he's the first Gentile. He was the first Gentile to receive the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues. He, he was in a port city that was an outpost for the Roman guard. He had about 100 men underneath him, roughly. He was in charge he was collecting a paycheck from Caesar and he was in charge of keeping that port city safe with all of his Roman guards. And he is the first Gentile to get the power of progress in his life. He is the first man. So no matter how difficult it looks, God can still work, amen? So when he gets the Holy Ghost, you think there's not a perplexing problem? collecting a paycheck from Caesar and paying tithes to the Pentecostal church. That's like winning the lottery and giving it to... <laughs> That's really what it's like. There was a perplexing situation going on and if you look at it, you think that is a serious problem. But in all of that, God can be honored. So we see in the scripture, Paul saying, this I consider advancement. I'm locked up. I could die tomorrow. 
but I believe. Now watch. He said, my why is bigger than my what? Now go to verse eight or 19, would you? I'm going to work my way down, so prep it up for me. Go to verse 19 of Philippians, and I'm closing with this. You've got to see the psychology of Paul. You've got to see this, because this will make a difference in your life. Is this okay for you today? All right, what time is it? All right, we're doing good. So we read, brothers and sisters, everything that happened here is to help spread the good news. He says in verse 12, you can stay, you can stay in 19, that's all right. For everyone here, including the whole palace, yeah, go ahead, go to verse 13 for me. I'm, I'm just, I just love this word right here. He said, for everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. He's preaching to all the palace guards while he's in his struggle story. He's got a captive audience. You do not want to give Paul a captive audience. Bad idea. And he's preaching. He's like, I have had, I've got people that are watching me. I can preach to them the gospel. This is great. And then in verse 14, it says, and because of my imprisonment, you can put up whatever you've got, bro. Because of my imprisonment, most, I'm reading from my happy Bible. This is my devotion Bible. I think it's like uh, the NT, uh, New Living Translation is what I'm reading from, if you have that. He says in verse 14, and because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message. I won, I'm winning guards. I'm winning preachers out of the prisoners. I'm turning the prisoners into preachers. Go ahead and preach with me there. That's a good word. Everything that has changed and is bound is turning into somebody who's free with the gospel message. We haven't got out of this prison, but we've got out of all our other prisons. We've been set free by the power of the name. Amen. Oh, man, I can jump over to John where he said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a voice as the sound of many waters turning and seeing this one like unto the Son of Man. You know it. Clothed with a garment down to his foot, girt about the pap. With a, this is my favorite verse. Girt about the pap with a golden girdle. His head and his hair were white like wool, white as snow. His feet were as fine brass as if they burned. He had shiny feet. Jesus had shiny feet in this vision. As if they burned in a furnace, and, and he had seven stars in his hand. And he came out of the seven candlesticks because the menorah represents Jesus Christ, the light. So he, of course, he'd come out of the seven candlesticks. And so then he's like looking at Jesus. The only true description we have of Jesus, and we have other descriptions, but the greatest description, I think, of Jesus in a spiritual form comes from John. And he's in church. He said, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, but he's in a chain gang working on an island that's a prison. All of these others, they're not out of prison, but they're still preaching the gospel. Right. What prison are you in? How, how much have you been locked up this week? Can you preach the gospel on your job? Can it be asked of you to preach the gospel in your struggle story when we're not incarcerated? Because see, if you know why you're doing something, you can go to prison and still be happy. You can go into all kinds of things and still live for God. So look at Paul's change. of He says, I've got my why. I'm here to glorify God, whether I live or I die. I'm here to advance the gospel. And then verse 15, 
It says, it's true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, but others preach about Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me, for they know I have been appointed to defend the good news. Anybody had to defend the good news lately? Verse 17, those others do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. He said, all these other churches, all these other preachers, they may not have pure motives. Some do, some don't. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely intending to make my change more painful to me, but that doesn't matter. He said, I don't care about that. As long as Christ is getting preached somehow, they might give them half the loaf. I'll show up maybe and give them the full loaf. Give them all the bread of Jesus Christ. Somehow it's going to change their heart because the word goes to work when they hear it. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way. So I rejoice, he says, and I will, I would say will. Now watch carefully. I want you to say will every time we hit to will because here's the change. He said my why? Because I've interpreted this situation with my faith and because I'm anticipating that God's going to use this struggle story for his kingdom. I can do this. I can change my perspective because my faith informs my circumstance that I am going to either live or die but it's all for the glory of God. Amen? So his mindset is this. Here we go. Are you ready? The end of verse 18. Do we have it? Yes. Let's read. Christ is being preached either way. I'm reading for here, but that doesn't matter. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message of Christ is being preached either way. So I rejoice and I will. That's one. Count them with me. Okay, let's, let's count them. We'll count them. That's easier. One. That's the first will. Continue to rejoice. Next verse. We're going to go on down. Next verse. For I know that as you pray for me and the spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will too, right, leads to my deliverance. As you pray for me, I'm confident this will lead to my deliverance. For I fully expect, everyone say expect. expect. He's expecting, he's anticipating and hope that I will, that's three, Notice he's willing this to be. He's saying, I believe this. I will see this. I'm anticipating this. His faith is informing this because he's still locked up. Never be ashamed. But I will continue for to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will, five, bring honor to Christ whether I live or die. Next verse. We're at five, right? Hold a five up. Everybody got a five? For to me, living means living for Christ and dying is even better. Next verse. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. I can work for Christ with my struggle story if I live. But if I die, I can still go on to be with the Lord. I want, to, I want you to know that one second in heaven will wipe out every single question and every single pain you've ever had in this life. One second walking through the pearly gates and seeing God's glorious throne up in the distance. There will be no questions left to ask. You will be dancing on streets of gold, glad that you made it to heaven. Amen? No matter how you got there. But I am torn between two desires. What are we at? Five? We have five? Five wills. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me. Be better for me. But, but for your sakes, it is better that I continue to live. He said, it's for you. 
that I'm continuing to live. Next verse. Knowing this, I am convinced that I will, six, remain alive so I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. Oh my God. He's concerned about somebody else's joy. What can you do from a locked heart in a locked cell inside your life in a struggle story? You can give somebody else joy. You can help somebody. And he goes, and you're going to experience joy of your faith. Next verse, I think. And when I come to you again, I will, seven. Is that where we're at, seven? Have even more reason to take pride in Christ because of what he is doing through me. I boast in the Lord. We started with that. We finished with it. Stand with me together. So you have to change not only your posture in praise, but you have to change your perspective in your mind to I will see the glory of God in my situation. I, I promise you, I have not always known how my story was going to turn out. I've seen pains and problems. You have too. And predicaments that I didn't think were going to have come to pass. But I want you to know that I still feel like every time that that stuff would come against me when I was younger, my pastor used to always get up and go, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. And that stuck in my brain. And I was like, why is that so embedded in my brain? Because when we get together and you lift your hands... I may be clinging on to my problems still, but if you'll step in front and, and lift your hands to worship, you can block the problems in my life and you can praise over the problems in my life for me and you can help me to go, I can let this go. I can let this bitterness go. I can let this hatred go. You mean I don't have to carry this anymore? You mean I don't have to deal with my entire life being labeled as this? And when you show me your praise, I'm encouraged to praise. So our posture changes. And in that verse it says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me because my posture can help you lift your hands, brothers and sisters. Can help you praise. And let us exalt His name. Yahweh. Let us exalt His name. Together. Would you do that right now? Just lift your hands and exalt His name right now. God, we love and adore you. Whatever pain or problem or predicament has walked into this room, we lift your name over it right now in Jesus' name. We lift your name over it, God. You're in charge of our struggle story. It is yours to use in your kingdom. It may not even be for us. It may be for the joy and the faith of somebody else to see us praising you in the middle of trauma, see us praising you in the middle of trials, see us praising you in the middle of process while we don't know which way to go. Whatever happens, I've got a bigger why, God. I praise you because you're worthy. You're why I'm here. You're why I lift my hands. Let me release all that pain. Someone surrender everything into his hands right now. Surrender it all into his hands. Why don't you step out of your pew right now and bring your posture of God Almighty down to this altar. Why don't you come and lift your hands to God and say, Lord, I surrender it. I know it's hard for me to let go. I've been clinging on to that loss. I've been clinging on to that pain. I've been clinging on to that hope that they're going to come back, that there's going to be good stuff come of this. I've been clinging and really, I should.
should have my hands lifted high. Just calling on God's name. It's his battle anyways. I give you the pain. I give you the problem. In Jesus' name, I lift your name.